Let's look the Lord together in prayer. Father, we ask you now to be with us as we look once again at the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom we represent as ambassadors. Lord, would you be pleased to bless us through the further understanding of your word. Lord, please glorify yourself that uh, our song that uh, we sang, we're singing together just a moment ago will be the true song of our hearts. We want to see our Savior crowned, not only in the eyes of the world, but in our own hearts and minds as well. So Lord, grant it by your grace. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. The United States uh, Department of State has an inspector general uh, whose job it is to um, go, among other things, to, to go out and to rate U.S. ambassadors. Back in 2012, the Office of the Inspector General uh, revealed that one of our ambassadors was failing miserably at his job. His own staff allegedly had no confidence in him. He was found to be working against the nation's interests, our nation's interests, and the country he was serving. Has supposedly lost all respect of the government in that country, and the report claimed that he had the embassy staff working at cross purposes in the mission, so that there was total frustration. The inspector general said that the embassy was on the verge of becoming utterly dysfunctional, and the ambassador said publicly that he would not implement any U.S. government policies that he disagreed with. He was accused of using his personal emails to conduct official business and stated that he refused to read emails and cables coming from the United States with instructions or directives to him as our ambassador. Now, the ambassador denied those charges, but he did resign his position immediately. And today, the U.S. still does not have an ambassador to that important ally. When this ambassador was appointed, he was considered one of the top three foreign advisors to the President of the United States. But after he took on the mission, executive policies changed. And so did his relationship to the President, to the State Department, and to his mission. Interestingly, one of the main personal goals of this ambassador was to increase infant mortality in the country he was appointed to serve. And that was a position that put him at odds with both the United States government and the United Nations. Just how much this played a part in his downfall will probably never be known. But we do know that in the eyes of many, the right to exterminate life is apparently one of the most fundamental rights in the world. In their opinion, that right to impose death on a child in the womb must not be imposed upon at any 
cost. Now, whatever the issues here truly were for this ambassador, we can say that this person, for right or for wrong, was a poor ambassador when it came to representing and carrying out the wishes of the government that he represented. His refusal to read official cables and communications and his determination to not fulfill or carry out any policy he disagreed with rendered him really a poor ambassador. We've been talking this month, all this month, about our ambassadorship for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we acknowledge him by faith to be our king and that we're his witnesses in the world. To believers, the Lord says by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 43 and verses 10 and 11, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. And Jesus himself says to all who are his, You are the light of the world, in Matthew chapter 5, and verse 14. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now hopefully, if you and I were to be rated as ambassadors, we would do better than this example from our own State Department. But I think it's important to note that where he came short in faithfully serving and practicing his ambassadorship, we can too. For example, we can fall short in our area of faithfully communicating with our King by prayer. We can come short by failing to regularly read his messages to us in his word. And we can fail to implement his will in our lives, in our homes, and in the world around us. These are all things that Christian ambassadors can struggle with at times. But we also recognize that in the case of a political ambassador in this world, administrations and policies can change and one could easily find him or herself in a situation where it might go against one's conscience to implement or to carry out instructions from a government. But that can never be the legitimate case in your relationship with your king and the government of heaven. In representing your king, the mandate is this. From 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And the apostle Paul outlines this a bit more fully for us. He says this in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 10. 
Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. and Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. What a mandate. What a mandate for our ambassadorship in this world. And you can go back to this passage and review it again and again, and you see there how we are to live in the world. So we have from our king a blessed mandate as ambassadors. We're to go out into this dark and dying world and bear the light of the gospel, the message of our king to men, women, and children everywhere. The Apostle Paul puts our calling and message in these terms in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says there, beginning in verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That's part of our mandate, to go out as the ambassadors of Christ and to appeal to men and women and children to be reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ and through his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. But beloved, as ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, our privilege is a double one. Because we not only have a blessed message to bring to the world, But we serve a most glorious and wonderful king in doing so. His beauty stands in stark contrast to all those who serve other masters in this world. There are those who serve no one but self, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is is in their shame, who mind earthly things, Paul says in Philippians 3.19. And out there, there are ambassadors who serve no one but self as they go out in the world. There are those who serve the gods of this world, whose painted face allures them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 4, Paul says, in their case, The God of this world has blinded the minds of of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 
And there are those who are duped ambassadors of the idolatry of this world calling men, women, and children to embrace the pride of life, uh, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, not knowing that one who wanders wanders from the way of good sense will rest in the assembly of the dead. They're out there, ambassadors for these things, promoting these things, calling men to, to respond to and acknowledge the idolatry of the world that leads to death. In contrast to the ugly and cruel face of sin and Satan, we serve a king who is beautiful in his countenance. And hopefully you children from Heritage remember that in chapel last week, we spoke of how the beauty of the Lord is to be found in the heart of the beholder. It is Peter who says of you and your king, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now, we've discussed this beauty as it's set forth for us by the prophet Isaiah under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we've done that from Isaiah chapter 9 and verses 6 through 7. So I'll call your attention back to that passage this morning. Isaiah 9, 6-7 For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace there shall be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's speak first of all about the increase of his government and peace. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with what happens if you drop a mento in a bottle of Diet Coke. How many of you are familiar with what happens if you do that? I thought so. Um, If you've not seen what happens, you'll find hundreds of illustrations of what takes place on YouTube. Essentially, the mint candy works as a catalyst with the carbonization, and it turns the Coke into a sort of foam, increasing the volume tremendously, and driving all the liquid through the neck of the bottle like a geyser into the air. And if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. That reaction is a good picture of what is intended here when the prophet says that the government and peace of Christ's kingdom is in a state of increase. It will continue to bubble up and to expand until it fills heaven and earth once and for all. And that's what's going on, even now, as Christ reigns. The work of this kingdom started out with a small beginning, a gathering of disciples. But it's increased mightily in its pitch and in its glory, as John Gill says. You think of it this way. 
with all the bad news that will bounce from the world to satellites and back down to news outlets, to your phones and TVs. The word and promise of Christ's kingdom has emanated from far more outlets around the world this Lord's Day than that bad news. That bad news is out there, and it's bouncing around, and people are receiving it. But the, the good news of the kingdom has gone out from far more outlets than that bad news. It's estimated that there are 660 million evangelicals in the world at present. It's also estimated that the average church size is 75 active members. So you can do the math, but it suggests that it's possible that over 8 million churches were hopefully open this day as the day moved across the face of the earth, preaching and proclaiming the gospel in some form. Think of that message going out to that extent through the world. Even the most powerful and noble earthly monarch or ruler will see his reign eventually weaken and break down over time. He can't maintain the strength and the wisdom to bring it beyond a certain point. He just can't. She can't. This reality was very obvious as we surveyed uh, the lives of various kings, the ki kings of Judah prior to the fall of Jerusalem uh, over the last few months on Sunday night. The best of kings, like King Hezekiah, could not perpetuate their reigns despite all their efforts. Even their own sons betrayed them. But it's not so with your wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting giver of life, the Prince of Peace. He sits upon his throne with a constant vigor and, his reign, and he reigns in perpetuity. And there's no weakening of that reign. There's no subjection of that reign to something else that, that causes it to be reduced. In Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15, we read the seventh angel, seventh angel blows his trumpet and there's a loud voice that comes from heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And he is reigning now with the same vigor and the same strength that he has ever reigned with. And he will continue to do so. So we have this message of the kingdom going out everywhere, constantly going out in more ways than we imagine. And then we have him reigning and ruling with the same vigor and the same authority as he ever has. And the work goes on unhindered. And that's why Isaiah says that his government is increasing. His kingdom marches on to its glorious triumph on schedule and unhindered. It's not threatened by insurrection despite an endless stream of opponents. 
It's not subject to unexpected events that might cause delay or, or uh, uh, require some change in plans. No, the work of his kingdom and its ultimate triumph is already a fact. And though it may appear that there are reverses, they are simply a part of the final victory. They are not reverses. They are part of the story of the final triumph. Look at the cross. The cross was meant to crucify all hopes of the kingdom coming to fruition. And yet it was designed from the beginning to be the great triumph that would open the kingdom to all who believe. Those who carried it out meant it for evil. Meant to bring an end to what God had determined. But it wasn't that at all. It was Christ doing what he promised to do so that the kingdom could come. Your king smiles on you as his ambassadors and he says this, and we read it in John chapter 16, verses 20 through 33. He smiles at you as his ambassadors and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I will not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative language. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's the message of our king to us. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Will you have tribulation? Will you have sorrow? Yes, but I have overcome the world. 
Then in 1 John chapter 5 and verses 4 through 5 we read, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And finally Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14, But thanks be to God, who in Christ Jesus always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To other, a fragrance from life to life who is sufficient for these things. Ambassadors, do you have the sense that you're being led in triumphal procession through this world? That that's what's going on. That you're representing a king who's in power and who is carrying out his will and who, whose kingdom is increasing and the peace that that kingdom brings in, is increasing. And he's leading you triumphantly in a triumphant procession through this world showing, this is me, this is what I do. I redeem, I save lost sinners. And I give them new life. And I give them faith. And I give them peace. And I give them joy. And here they are paraded through the world as the light. As ambassadors that bring the message of faith. John Gill said, Christ's kingdom and interests, his dominion and government, may be said to be increased when his gospel is spread far and near, which is called the gospel of the kingdom and the doctrines of it the mysteries of the kingdom, by means of which men become subjects of it, and so his kingdom is enlarged. The peace that is increasing is born from the truth it brings, that message brings, of redemption through the blood of the Lamb. Under the law, the peace that was offered was ceremonial and fragile and temporary. But the peace offered unto the gospel is full, and it's satisfying. He rules his kingdom by love, and he rules from the hearts of men and women outward. And that's the glory and the wonder of the kingdom. It goes out from us. It's not a kingdom imposed upon us. It's a kingdom that, that is established in us and then goes out from us. The more we are subject to Christ the more easy and safe we are and the more peace we have. The hymn says, like a river glorious is God's perfect peace, over all victorious in its bright increase. Hidden in the hollow of his blessed hand, never foe can follow, never traitor stand. Not a surge of worry, not a shade of care, not a blast of hurry touch the spirit there. Every joy or trial fall from above, traced upon our dial by the Son of Love. We may trust him fully, all for us to do. They who trust him wholly find him wholly true. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding, as he promised, perfect 
peace and rest. And as the gospel goes out, and as men find peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, the increase of the peace of his government goes out. In Isaiah 32, 17, it says, The effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. Isn't it a tremendous thing to be an ambassador of that message? That in the righteousness to be found in Jesus Christ, there's peace. And the result of peace is quietness and trust forever. In Psalm 119, verse 165, David writes, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. So it's a kingdom that is increasing in government and in peace. And Jesus rules in that government from the throne of David over his kingdom. That our king should sit on the throne of David was always the intent. When Mary was approached by Gabriel with the news of her choice to to be the one who would carry the Messiah, Gabriel said this to her in Luke chapter 1 verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I think it's interesting that often those words of Gabriel are not emphasized enough. The inclination is to go right to Mary and to how Mary responded to this message. But listen again to what Gabriel tells her that is to bring her joy and peace and satisfaction. That her son, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And as of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary's to find consolation in that. She's to find joy in that. This is to be the fulfillment of all that was promised. Him sitting on his throne. His ruling forever and ever. And it's no ordinary kingdom that he rules over. It's not of this world. We're reminded here that we're ambassadors of no ordinary kingdom. It's a monarchy that's not of this world though it was pictured or foreshadowed in the earthly kingdom of King David. The kingdom you serve, Christians, is not earthly in its origin, and it didn't get its impetus from any compact among men and women. Every Thanksgiving, we read the Mayflower Compact. And in that compact, we read where the people on the Mayflower got together, and they said, we're going to agree to be governed. You didn't get this kingdom because we had some kind of conference and we all got together and said we're going to agree to be, to be uh, ruled by King Jesus. 
We're going to compact together. We're going to form a constitution together. and We're going to have him rule over us. And we can go knocking on the door of heaven and saying, Jesus, will you come and rule over us? Wasn't that way, was it? Not at all. He came and brought you into his kingdom by his grace, by his love. And the kingdom you represent is not one that you've agreed to establish. It's one that was established by the Lord Jesus Christ and he has brought you into and now called you to serve as ambassadors. This kingdom has its origin entirely in the will of God. There was no agreement of the undersigned which brought it into being except between the Father and the Son. This kingdom we're a part of has no political aims. McCulloch says that this kingdom was raised up by God for the recovery of mankind from ignorance, error, and sin and reuniting them to God as their rightful sovereign and chief good. We don't get to call a convocation of the church and say, what's going to be our platform? What's going to be our political platform that we're going to represent to the world? We don't get to do that. We're representing a platform that has already been established. We represent a kingdom that has been established for the recovery of mankind from ignorance, error, and sin and for the reuniting to God, men and women. In Isaiah 16.5 it says, Then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. And in that way, the reign of Hezekiah served to foreshadow the Messiah's reign. Now, not only was it not born out of any earthly effort, it is not maintained by any earthly effort either. Earthly means are employed in the service of the work, but it's not dependent upon them. King Jesus reigns from his throne above, preserving his truth, sending it out to conquer hearts and lives. He frustrates his enemies by his wise and overruling providence. It's his work. Peter says by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and verse 29, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified.
So he sits on the throne of David, and from that throne he rules with this government that is increasing in its authority and in the peace that it brings. And he does this to establish the kingdom and to uphold it. You are his ambassador, but he is the king of kings. He doesn't rule by your support or acknowledgement. On the contrary, the whole kingdom exists and persists at and by his will. It is the king who has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, Colossians 1.13 says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He that is Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It is the king, beloved, who supplies all the strength, who supplies all the energy, who supplies all the success and the security for his ambassadors. Abide in me, and I in you, Jesus said in John 15:4. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And in the end, all the saints, all the singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. And lastly here, you have the guarantee that all of this is so. In Christ, in your God, zeal is perfected. Zeal is a mixed passion. There is love and anger. In our king, these things are holy and perfected. And they're offered here as the reason that you may be sure that what was promised concerning the Christ will be holy and perfectly fulfilled. It is a result of the zeal of the Lord. It is for the fulfillment and the honor of his word. He who has said it will perform it. He who has spoken will make it good, says McCulloch. He is the Lord of lords to whom the whole creation is subject, who disposes all creatures and events according to his pleasure. And therefore, no obstruction, no power, however great, can possibly hinder the accomplishment of these glorious things. Now, why do we put this guarantee here? We put it there because Satan cries out, Give up! Give up! Abandon hope! Look how frail you are. Look how strong evil and all that opposes you is. Look how evil has worked its way into the highest authorities and the people with the greatest power and the most formidable weapons. Give up. Abandon your efforts. There's no sense standing. There's no sense trying to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. 
There's no sense trying to bring this message of life into the world. Abandon your efforts. Sin is too great. Sin is too powerful. Look at the way it destroys men. Look at the way it brings them down. Look at their blindness. Look at your weakness. Look at how strong the enemy is. Look at how he can deceive. Look how he can work in the hearts of of men lost in sin and bring them into further darkness. Give it up. Be depressed. Be overwhelmed by it all. There's just too much. There's too much power out there. They They have too much authority. They have too much in their hands. They have the ears of all. They have the eyes of all. Give it up. Abandon what you're doing. And our response to that is, as the ambassadors of Christ, why should we? What do you mean, give it up? We answer. Not by might, our God says. Not by power, but by his spirit. We conquer. Why should we give it up? We don't have to listen to Satan and and the world or heed them. Because we are told that the zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to bring this to pass. And who is this one who is going to bring this to pass? The Counselor. The Wonderful One. The Mighty God. The Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. Satan says, abandon all hope. Christ says, I am ruling, I am reigning, and I am bringing all things around to the rule of right. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will bring all of this to pass, beloved. We're to be like Nehemiah, who when he was called on to parley with his enemies, said, I'm doing a great work, I can't come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? We're told that they tried that four times. And they said, give that up. Give up what you're trying to do. And come and let's have a discussion. Let's have a talk. Let's see if we can't compromise here. And our answer should be no. Why should we? We're doing a great work. We're ambassadors of life and truth and glory. In the the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our message as the ambassadors of Christ is be reconciled to God. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. That's our response. The world says, abandon all hope. Give up what you're doing. And our answer is, no, you better kiss the Son. You better kiss the Son. Because he is ruling and reigning with authority and power of his kingdom. There is no end. It is increasing in power and authority and peace. And you're in opposition to it. And you will perish in the way unless you kiss the Son.
unless you fall before the Son and surrender. We don't listen to the world. We don't listen to the alluring charms of Satan. We don't live by fear as the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We live by faith. We live with courage because the kingdom we represent doesn't stand because of human effort. It stands because of divine grace and power. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us the courage that becomes people who represent the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. First of all, Lord, keep us from being intimidated by the noise. And may we have eyes to see and ears to hear that the message of the kingdom, the message of the gospel is going out constantly. And even while the airwaves are dominated by so many who have a false message, the message of truth is out and about and going forth. And it has the power of the Spirit behind it. Father, though we see at times what appears to be the triumph of evil, help us to keep in mind that our King has told us when you see the enemy spreading himself like a great green bay tree, don't be afraid because he is preparing to be brought down. Our King tells us that. Lord, we pray that we would hear it. And Father, we pray that we would not uh, be intimidated by the face or the authority, the anger, the, the power of the enemy, or those who represent him. But we will always be charmed and delighted by the face of our King, who tells us, don't be afraid. I have overcome the world. Lord, please, show us mercy. Show us grace. Keep our eyes and hearts wide open. And glorify yourself in our lives, in the life of this body, in the life of your church as a whole, and in this world. We ask it, Father, for Christ our King's sake. Amen.